Coming up this hour, we're still talking about the coronavirus. Also, we're going to talk about addicted to outrage and when is it okay to leave your church. This is The Common Good. everyone. Welcome to The Common Good. It's Thursday. I love Thursday. <laughs> I do. Thursday's great, but it's your date night normally. Yeah, I was wondering what you were going to say about why you love Thursday. I, I thought because it's the, it's the gateway to Friday. The gateway to Friday. Yeah, gateway to Friday. Isn't that how you typically talk about, like, drugs? <laughs> or St. Louis? Are you, ad- are you addicted to Fridays, Brian? I do love Fridays. Yeah, keep them away from Thursday, man. That's the gateway to Friday. But, uh, yeah, it's normally your date night. I don't know if your kids or your life status is affording you the opportunity to go out on a date, but well, hopefully. Not, yeah, not every date night is necessarily, like, Cinderella level, but we do pretty good though. We got a little yeah. like marriage journal we're working through. Oh, that's cool. And it's yeah, I, I actually really like it because it's asking questions about like goals and dreams, but it's also asking like, hey, is there a conflict from this last week that we haven't addressed or that's mm. kind of gone? Like it's a really, it's a really at least for us, it's been it's been really good. Some of the questions seem really obvious, but then when you actually start walking through them, you're like, yeah, we. We probably could use some guidance in this area. So I've loved it. But that's awesome. Uh, before we get into more coronavirus conversations, yep. uh, you can find us on Facebook, the Common Good Radio Show, which is probably the safest option right now because everyone's staying home. So head on over to our Facebook page and read all the articles. And uh, you can also review our page there. That helps out a lot. You can go to 1160hope.com slash the common good. Plus, we're podcasted. And uh, if you're a podcaster, thank you so much for. Subscribing, rating, reviewing, sharing, all that stuff uh, does really help us out a whole lot. And I didn't necessarily want to talk about um, the the news aspect of right. coronavirus because I feel like everyone's feeling a little inundated. Um, Jesse Oxford, I think, made a comment in one of our think tank posts where John had asked, hey, what should we talk about this week? Jesse's like, not coronavirus. <laughs> and we have not kept that promise. I'm That's really sure, Jesse. But I want to talk a little bit more about uh, a theology or a missiology or ecclesiology. How, how would Jesus respond to uh, what we're seeing happening in our both our country and our world? And uh, there's another article from Tyler Huckabee over at Relevant where he says, um, COVID-19 preparedness is an opportunity to literally love your neighbor as yourself. So I want to talk less about the stats yeah, and the, yeah. who should we listen to and all that, and more about like how do we how do we live like Christians in an age where everyone in a moment in particular where everyone's kind of freaking out yep. and people are making you know wild accusations about the other. And um, I, I wanted to have a little more of a kind of a measured conversation around all of that. That's okay. So the really uh, interesting article of the two that you posted here out of Relevant Magazine says COVID-19 preparedness is an opportunity to literally love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. And uh, I didn't know about this, but uh, Crossroads, a multi-site church in Cincinnati that was named the fourth fourth largest church in America in 2017, their pastor uh, put up a video that has since been taken down yeah. saying that uh, that this is just about fear. I'm not saying people aren't dying, but they tend to be very old people and people have significant medical problems. I just want to say you're going to be okay. That's uh, from his video. From his right. video. And uh, a lot of people have jumped on this that, yeah, there is actually some truth to that, right? Even in Italy, it says the average age of the person who has died from this is 81. Um uh, and Coulter, they they said something she said in here. And so this this whole talk about fear. But then this article starts to say, listen, we as Christians are called to love our neighbors yes, right. as ourselves. Right. Part of our neighbors are compromised older people. 
right? And so to be dismissive and to go, oh, it's, it doesn't go after people like me. So I'm or, fine, right. Or, oh, it's just the older people. Well, you know, that's somebody's, that's somebody, right? Yeah, and it's right. also somebody's mom or somebody's grandma. And uh, it says here, loving others require sacrifice. If it didn't, everyone would do it. And so the author here is trying to say, hey, even in we, uh, even in our approach towards the coronavirus and what we're willing to do, that maybe you're like, hey, I'm going to be okay. But but to be a Christ follower means to go, but I'm going to take the necessary steps so that those who may not be okay aren't put in harm's way, aren't yeah, put right. in danger. Well, let me, I love how he puts it here. He says, this is an especially upsetting message coming from Christians, giving the historic message of the church. Jesus's message is unique because of its excessive amount of concern for the vulnerable. Yes. At its best, the church has championed the cause of the least of these, as Matthew 25 has it. Christians are rarely more incarnational than when they say, society may consider you expendable, but we don't. Mm. That, I think, is such a an important, helpful, timely perspective that I think a lot of us know that. But don't you find that, you know, yeah. when when we find ourselves in the midst of mass hysteria, there it can be difficult to sort of remember some of these truths that we, you know, we teach and preach and learn all the time. Yeah. And this other article you posted from Relevant is written by a uh, friend of the show, even though he doesn't know it, <laughs> Scott Sauls, uh, who says, fear begets restlessness. And when we are restless, we tend to panic, fixate on worst case scenarios and act chiefly out of self-preservation. In other words, fear cripples our ability to fulfill our calling to love our neighbors as ourselves. And uh, his point is, um, you know what? We are called by Jesus to love our neighbors. And what is that going to look like for the church right. in the midst of a culture right now that is scared, that is uh, legitimately scared and in some ways illegitimately scared, depending on sure. you know the day? Uh, and Saul's goes on to say, I hope that fellow Christians will, for many reasons Jesus has given for us doing so, reject fear, panic, self-preservation, Instead, may we live as the light he has equipped us to be in a world overcome by pain and fear. Yeah. He, in a tweet yesterday, said, uh, let us be smart. Let us wash our hands and then go wash people's feet, basically mm. trying to take up the call of Jesus. Uh, the church has a real opportunity here to say uh, we are going to uh, not be un- not reject fear in the sense of going, ah, this can't hurt anybody. This is nothing but reject fear in the sense of going. Listen, we're still going to love our neighbor. We're still going to go be the hands and feet of Jesus. Like the early church, that even actually might put us in harm's way, but we're going to be wise, and then we are going to go and love people. Hmm. I like what he says here. Saul says uh, one very practical way that we can serve our neighbors is with our prayers. We can pray right now for every country and region and people group affected by the virus. We can pray that God would prevent its further spreading. Mm -hmm. And as we pray that the virus would cease to spread, we could ask that in its place, the good news of Christ, his healing grace, and his promise to make all things new would go viral. Finally, we can treat a global outbreak as an occasion to remember how the faithful have responded to such things in the past. It is followers of Christ, after all, who founded the vocation of healthcare, not to mention the many hospitals and clinics around the world that are named after a Christian saint. Tracing even further back, to the first three centuries A.D., we can draw inspiration from how Christians responded to the plague in Rome as Roman citizens shielded themselves from contagion by sending their own sick relatives into the streets. It was the Christians mm, yes. who went into the streets to retrieve them, tend to their needs, and in many cases welcome them into their homes so they could die with dignity. It is for reasons like these that one emperor whose agenda included exterminating all Christians from Rome through religious persecution and genocide, conceded in a letter to a friend that he could not stop the rapid growth of the Christian, quote, sect, 
because Christians treated Rome's poor, sick, and vulnerable with more care and compassion than Rome did. It's crazy. This is that's why you like Saul so much. It is. It's because of writings like it that. Is. I think I think there's a lot of truth to them. There is, and I should say that after the uh, article, they took at Crossroads, the pastor Brian Tome, they took down a video and he put up a new video, right, saying take recommended precautions is fine, but let's not be overwhelmed in fear. In the video, he reiterates, you're going to be fine. Can I just? This is a little off subject. But he's at the, he leads the fourth largest church in America, yeah. and he's telling his people you're going to be fine. Yeah. Isn't the implication in here, we don't have any old people? Um, there's sorta. nobody here that's going to get sick to the point of death. I don't know. I think there's some there's something that says something about our church world, too, there that we've talked about before. But that's a tangent for another day. <laughs> Is it? Maybe we should yeah. we make a commitment right now to not do any more coronavirus for the rest of the week at least? Or can we not make that promise? Unless we've got to do something drastic in this area. How about that? If something changes in our area, we That's do. That's fair. Otherwise, no. <laughs> we'll, we'll try our best. Uh, coming up next, there's uh, an article that I thought was really interesting. Evangelical pastor identifies when it's okay to move to a different church. That's coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. Brian is nodding in agreement. I'm here. Are you like a, if you were just to attend a church service, are you a nodder? Are you Ooh, a, are you a, I do not a, think so. Mm-hmm. No, any, no. Any manner? Nope, nope. None I'm of not. it? No. You're an arms crossed, no, impress I'm, me I'm pastor. A, uh, yeah, no, no, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not a nodder or an okay. I also will often look down, which I think is a weird posture to take, but is I listen better. Is that what it is? So years ago, I won't use his name, but when I was at Glen Ellen Bible Church, when I first started preaching sure. on occasion, there was a brilliant uh, Old Testament scholar who came to our church who was, I'll share this story about him someday, but he was the most humble, like most brilliant person I know. Uh, but when he listened to your sermon, and he would always then come up and tell you how good you did and give yeah, yeah. you good feedback, he would put his hands in his head for the entire time and stare down. Oh, And you really? would look out there and feel really like, Ugh, is he like, what's going on? Oh, I'd rather that. And then he'd the... come up and be like, good job. You know, yeah, you I'd, thought I'd, about I'd this. definitely, so I'd way rather that than it like wasn't arms at all. Yeah, it wasn't at all a posture of like, I can't handle this. It's just how he listened best. But the first time you saw it, it was a little unnerving. I mean, I yeah, that would be. I could think of far more things <laughs> that you've had. More, yeah, that I, <laughs> that I could uh, picture in my mind's eye right now. Uh, all right, so you can find us on Facebook, the Common Good Radio Show, eleven sixty hope dot com slash Common Good, or wherever it is you get podcasts. For those of you who do, thank you so much for subscribing and rating mm-hmm. and reviewing and all of that fancy pants digital stuff. Um, this is out of the Christian Post, christianpost.com. dot com. And the headline says, Evangelical Pastor Identifies When It's Okay to Move to a Different Church. We talked a couple of days ago about some of our skittishness That's in right. Western evangelicalism in particular, where we like we hop around based on who's speaking yeah. or who's playing. And I had kind of said toward the end of that that it uh, – that's not to say that there aren't times where it's completely appropriate right. and necessary and right to say – I think it's time for us to move on. And important to point out, this isn't just an evangelical pastor. This is J.D. Greer, so pastor of an enormous network of churches called Summit Church in North Carolina. Also the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. So there's some uh, weight to what he says some weight to this. Absolutely. Well, I wanted just to play a couple of minutes to what he said because I think this is a question. It's weird because you and I as pastors, we probably don't get a lot of questions like this from people who already attend our church. But I also know it's a question that a lot of people are asking 
And I just found that juxtaposition really interesting. So this is just a couple of minutes from J.D. Greer uh, addressing the question, when is it okay to move to a different church? I, you know, break up. I leave, I leave that fast food restaurant and I go somewhere else. If I, have, I find lower prices or more convenience at a grocery store, I don't have to have a, a heart-wrenching conversation with the manager of my grocery <laughs> store. A consumer relationship is very, very appropriate in that. Um, it's not appropriate when it comes to family. You know, I don't, obviously I don't say to my wife, you know, like, hey, things are just not, you know, working well. I mean, that's, that's marriage is a covenant and it means for better or for worse. I don't have it with my kids. I don't bring, you know, my, my daughter Raya in and say, Raya, your mom and I just, it's not, not you, sweetheart. It's us. You know, we're going a different direction. So the church, the church is in one sense, well, in in a huge sense, it's, it's family. And while it's not, you know, we don't, we're not have the same bonds to a particular local church that we would have to, for example, my wife or my kids, the church as a community and a family to leave one ought to feel like, like I'm leaving a part of a, you know, a family relationship. And that means that there might be a time, and I'll talk about that in a minute when it, I do think it's wise to leave a church, but it, it shouldn't be light and flippant or because there's better music or better preaching or cooler people, you know, that you think at, a, at yeah. another church. So the other end of the tension is, um, I mean, you really, church is a vital part of your life and the preaching of the word. I mean, you need the word of God. You need it, it in a way that, that fills your life and your heart and shape. I mean, my family, my relationships and my family depend on my, the quality of my relationship with the Lord. And one of the biggest um, factors in that is the church I go to. And so, you know, I've only got one life to live and I really want to make sure that I stay as spiritually healthy as I can. And I'm a part of a family that brings out the best in me. And one that also helps my uh, ministry gifts come alive. I don't want to spend 20, 30 years in some church where I'm not, you know, not only am I not growing, but I'm also, it's not a good place for me to bring people that God's putting into my life that are lost. Um, I think about this, especially now as a dad. I mean, when you start having kids, you know, you only get one shot at those teenage years. And I want to make sure they're in the kind of environment where and the community that I'm able to surround them with is a, is a thriving community. So that would be the other side is, is how do you know when you're in a place where it's, it's just not best long term? And so somewhere between those two poles, yeah. that tension is, is, is wisdom. Yeah. Uh, I can't use that and say, and therefore you ought all, you ought to always stay. You ought to always go. It's, it's somewhere in between there. You got to discern what, what the right answer is. So what do you think of that? As someone who, you know, is obviously maybe a bit biased. You lead a church, sure, right? So sure. you, you're bringing all of those presuppositions and biases with you. What do you, what do you think of his response? Yeah, and as you know, when you're a pastor, you have people leave other churches and come to your church. That's and you got to wrestle that. And you have people leave your church and go to other churches. I think I tend to really resonate with J.D. Greer just really? in general. Hmm. Uh, I, I appreciate him as a pastor. And I think he, I think he spoke very practically there. Like, hmm. Uh, because oftentimes we'll go on one of two of the polls of never leave a church ever, right? Or, right, right. or you know, if it's not serving you, get out as quickly as you can. Uh, and I appreciate that he said, you know, obviously there's times to definitely leave, right? Abuse, uh, when when uh, major theological tenets are being, you know, uh, discarded, whatever. Um but he did say, you know what, if this church, if you've got you've got certain number of years and you're not growing and they're not uh, you're not able to utilize your, your giftings, uh, that it's think about it. And I thought that was helpful, like just to think through him mm. saying between these two poles is probably the answer. Yeah, I think is really helpful. And something else I would encourage people if and when you leave a church, 
get together with your pastor and kind of give them uh, in humility, just kind of your thought process. Like I think people, I don't know if you've had a lot of that. I tend to have people leave my church and never talk to me again. Yeah. And that's just really hurtful. And I think uh, having that conversation while uncomfortable is actually going to help the church you're leaving and going to end that relationship in a positive way. Well, it can be hurtful to have that conversation, too. I think— No doubt. Yeah, I don't think it's and just awkward. discomfort. Yeah, And it, awkward. It's, yeah. It is really tough. I get why people don't, but I can also tell you that I have been immensely grateful for the people that have. Yeah. I also know that there have been times where someone has approached me saying, hey, we just left our church, and we love this church, and we're, we're, I've actually sent them back. Yeah, me it's, too. It sounds like there's some stuff that needs to be healed still there. And while I am really grateful that you feel at home and welcome yep. here, yep. Um, we care about the big C church, the body of yep. Christ. And there's yep. a, a, a rift, there's some brokenness there that needs to be dealt with. And uh, that's almost always met with some pretty surprised expressions. Yeah, because everyone thinks we're just thrilled for every person that comes to our place. <laughs> and, and I am legitimately thrilled that someone yes. finds a place that they connect. Or, you know, mm-hmm. it's not lost on me that, like, where your kids resonate is yeah. a huge deal. I've heard so many people say, I can stomach average sermons, no okay music, but if my kids like wake up on Sunday, I'm like, can we go there? Yeah. That's a big deal. But man, it's so important to do the hard work. Like what you're saying, have the hard conversations. Greer talks about not being flippant about it. Yeah. You know, if you feel like you've bounced churches eight times in the last three months, yep. that's that's maybe something to like hit pause on. Yeah, and do a little uh, a little heart searching. Where do you what do you think about where he lands with like the minute we got? Uh, I I I like it. Mm-hmm. I think there's probably still a lot of nuance there. Because like what you're saying or what you said earlier about like, oh, major tenants of the faith are being thrown out. Well, I don't think anybody thinks anyone (laughs) in leadership thinks they're throwing out major tenants. The problem comes when we disagree on what those major tenants are (laughs) or how much emphasis they're supposed to have. Sometimes it's just down to like your music's too loud or the font's too small. Sometimes it can be as small or. And people might be laughing. That never happens. It happens. Oh, it most certainly does. <laughs> yes. People leave over carpet color. Yeah. People leave over how fancy the bulletins are. Mm-hmm. All that to say, I think it's important to do the hard work. And I, I'm so grateful. I've, I've had uh, like a really great model in my mom who has been at the same church, you know, for 30 years and has weathered some storms. And she talks about when people ask her like, oh, you still go there, Colette? She's like, go there. This is my family. I don't mm-hmm. go there. I belong that's to really it. Good. And I'm like, man, that, that's always been really challenging to yeah. me. Well, coming up next out of uh, Carrie Newhoff's brain, key, uh, five keys to attracting leaders who are better than you. This is coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. It's Ian Simpkin here. And I remember the first time that I actually learned about Thriving Financial. I was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and me and two other pastors had this dream, this idea to better care for the marriages in our communities. And so we started to dream up this conference idea. What if we actually hosted a local conference to pour into marriages and couples in our churches, in our neighborhoods, in our communities. And Thriving Financial kind of came alongside and not only like made the conference possible, but they were actually interested in partnering with us as churches, as pastors, to help people not only be wise with money, but to live more generously, which was always a value that I had and always struggled to find organizations that actually wanted to help our churches do that. And so that's actually kind of the beginning of what's been a really beautiful journey and relationship with Thrive and to actually be wise with money, to live generously, and to help other people do the same. And so if that interests you, I'd encourage you to go to Thrivent.com to learn more. Well, howdy, everyone. I like how you were you were predicting my cadence with your finger. It's like you're conducting this intro right now. I was conducting right you. Well, you were, yeah. 
<laughs> which weird. nobody else can see. It's but. true. We should describe it in great detail. You did bring like your own metal wand, which was weird. It's and weird. You're standing on a platform, as and we I'm speak. wearing a tuxedo at the moment. A tuxedo with tails <laughs> and a top hat and a monocle. We getting fancy. Why do all con- not all? But why do most conductors? Why is tuxedo with tails the thing? Oh, I wonder I when that became th- the case. I think you're thinking of Looney Tunes right now. I don't think that's – You don't think most conductors – is I that was... more of a stereotype? I think so. Okay. You can tell how many concerts I go to. <laughs> but... I could be way off. Okay. I don't okay. think the vast majority – But me thinking it's a thing that conductors wear tails may not actually be the case. Yeah. Well, I don't even know that that's a thing we could Google. We could try. Somebody text us. Somebody Speaking not text us. Speaking of Google, <laughs> yes. you can find us on the World Wide Web on Facebook, the Common Good Radio Show. 1160hope.com slash the common good or wherever it is you get your podcasts. Uh, I want to talk about this article you did, you did mention. It's not from Kerry Newhoff's blog. It's from his brain. <laughs> um, no, it's really from his blog. But before we dive into this article about leadership, uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about Thriving Financial. I am a Thrivent member. Uh, I have loved being a Thrivent member for a multitude of reasons. But uh, if you're not familiar, there are Fortune 500 not-for-profit and they've been serving their members for over 100 years. But if you've ever wanted to be your own boss or you are kind of in the financial sector or you like coming alongside people, helping them uh, think through these things, you have an entrepreneurial drive, uh, I want to encourage you to consider possibly joining the Thrivent team. You can go to Thrivent.com slash careers. That's Thrivent.com slash careers to learn more. Or did you know that your smartphone also makes phone calls? You can just call <laughs> 630-598-2128. That's 630-598-2128. And just tell them that Ian from The Common Good sent you. There are now all these people just staring down at their phones going, people are like, do I have that app? <laughs> yeah. Does it cost money? <laughs> You're, yeah. <laughs> the phone app is the least used app on my phone. It's so true. <laughs> so true. It's not, uh, not a great sign. Anyway, so Kerry Newhoff, uh, you're familiar with Kerry Newhoff, I right? I am. What are you familiar with him for? A uh, lot of leadership stuff. Yeah. A lot of uh, pastor uh, stuff. Yeah. And um, yeah, you know, he is pretty prolific in all that he writes and all that he speaks. One of the things that I appreciate about him is uh, he is a pastor. He's a writer. He's a podcaster and a blogger. I don't know how he creates this much content. Yeah. It's nuts. But- the other thing that I appreciate about him, even though his expertise is like church world, his stuff has like such practical implications. Resonance, I hear yeah. more people who are businessmen and CEOs that say his stuff has actually been really helpful for me in my own growth, my mm-hmm. own strategy. So um, I'm sharing this just so that everyone listening knows that like this isn't just for church people. The five mm-hmm. keys to attracting leaders who are better than you are, which ultimately I think at its core, that's what good leadership is ultimately yep. about, yep. right? We will often say to build platforms for other people to stand on. That's mm. what it means to be a hero maker. It's not about, oh, how can I find the right minions to carry out my tasks? No, the goal is to find leaders that are better than you. Here's, here's how he begins it. He says, so you probably wish you had some better leaders on your team. Want to know what the very best leaders do? They figure out how to construct a team with leaders who are not just better leaders. They assemble a team with leaders who are better than they are. That's a big deal. If you truly want to have the best team, that means you need to figure out how to attract and develop communicators who are more gifted than you, team members who are smarter than you, leaders who are more connected than you, strategists who are more strategic than you. Small-minded leaders want to be the star of the show, but the best leaders let others, uh, other leaders be the star. Mm. They're, not only, um, they're not only threatened by that, they encourage it. The question is, how do you do that? After all, if you build a team of all-stars, everybody else could be working somewhere else and be making a huge impact there. So here's... Uh, his five suggestions 
for finding those types of leaders. Why don't you kick us off? Yeah. I don't know why you gave me this first one. (laughs) Uh, Deal with your insecurities. Insecure leaders will always feel threatened by people they think are better than they are. Get counseling. Get coaching. Do what you need to do. And think about this. Leaders who can build a great team always have a higher value to an organization than Mm. leaders who want to be the greatest on the team. Mm. Don't cap your organization's growth or mission because you're insecure. Push others into the spotlight. That's pretty good, man. If you're just joining us, this is five keys to attracting leaders who are better than you. From the brain of Carrie Newhoff, number two, give away responsibilities, not just tasks. This one's huge. Mm-hmm. If you want to repel high-capacity leaders, give them tasks, not responsibilities. When you trust your team, it ushers in the opportunity for greatness. If everything has to cross your desk, you will only ever lead a small organization because your desk isn't that big. You'll have a hard time delegating responsibilities, not tasks. If you're fearful, controlling, insecure, egotistical, unclear, want to get started on handing off more responsibility – Make fewer decisions this month mm. and hire and recruit people who make better decisions than you do. That's really good. It is. Number three, share the spotlight. If you have to be the front and center all the time, you create a whole host of problems, chief of which is that you'll demotivate your team because you steal all the airtime, the attention, or the credit. Smart mm. leaders will leave or never join your team in the first place. Pushing other people into the spotlight is the hallmark, hallmark of great leadership. There's a weird irony here. Leaders who hog the spotlight often do it because they want to be known. But you can ironically become well-known and respected because you give away the spotlight. Hmm. Case in point, he's going to use something from his own life. I host a leadership podcast in which I interview some of the top people in leadership today. It can be hard when you're interviewing guests to not jump and offer your own insights, but I made it a rule of thumb early on that I would try to be quiet and let the guests talk 90 to 95% of the time. Wow. So when I'm on my game, I say very little. Other than to occasionally make a comment or ask the next question, I really want the guest and listener to be the hero. Here's the surprise. The thing I've probably become best known for is my podcast, where I hardly talk during the interview. (laughs) That's a really good insight, actually. His podcast is really good, and I never really thought about how little he speaks on it. Number four, make it your job to help others succeed. Sometimes the best way to win is to stop trying to help yourself succeed and start spending your time trying to help other people succeed. The longer I've led, the more I realize that as a leader, I have a very small lane in which to exercise my gifts, and mostly my job is to clarify the mission, vision, and strategy and clear obstacles for everyone else. In other words, I'm not focused on me, but rather on something bigger than me, the mission, and on the team trying to make sure they soar. Worried you might lose out on what you want in the process? As Zig Zagler said, if you help uh, if you help enough people get what they want, you'll eventually get what you want. Helping others succeed will ultimately be your greatest success. Yep. Number five, create a culture of freedom. For years, I struggled with control as a leader. Then I realized that as much as I hate being controlled, so do almost all real leaders. So I motivate myself with this thought. If you want great leaders to flee your organization, control them. They'll leave. Yeah. If you want to attract great leaders, release them with a clear mission, vision, and strategy. As long as you micromanage everything, you will only have doers in your organization, mm-hmm. not leaders. Enough said. Okay, so moment of truth. Hot seat. Brian Fromm. Which of these do you think you struggle the most with? Uh, I made a joke about it. I think it's number one. Really? Deal with your insecurities. But it gets kind of... M- combined with even number two, giving away responsibilities, not just tasks. I find it interesting. Sometimes it's not that I don't want to give stuff away. It's that like in the moment things need to get done and it's constantly like, hey, let's do this. It's it's taking the time to build into other people Uh and give them the space. Like I resonate with all this stuff. Sometimes, 
especially in a small church setting like ours where you're giving away responsibility to volunteers, hmm. it, it's just hard to get to that spot where you're you're empowering. That's the hard work. Do you feel like me. you kind of – like you give it away but with a leash? Like you give it away but I'm – the moment that they drop the ball, you're like, oh, all right, I'll do it. Uh, it's not so much that. It, I give it away with a leash – uh, because I think I do have some controlling aspect, but I think mm. also, again, with it being volunteers, I'm not sure that there's a culture where they don't put the leash on themselves. Like, oh, oh are you good with this? Are you good with this? And you're like, okay. Yes. You know, but I think it's that too. <laughs> That's the other thing, though. You have to factor in the fact that, like, when you actually live these things out, the likelihood of the people that you're giving responsibilities to or freedom, for example, yep. They still have in the back of their mind probably a poor leader yep. that said something similar, and they're like, "Yeah, but the last time a leader told me I had freedom, the first time I made a mistake, he like bit my head off." Right. Like, it's also important, I think, for leaders to remember that all the people that you're leading are also bringing their own insecurities, their own previous experiences, and not all of them came from like great examples Healthy of places, what it yes. looks like, right? Well, at the at the very least, we'd love to know what you think. Was this challenging, encouraging? What do you agree with? What do you disagree with? You can find this article and all of our articles on the Facebook page, the Common Good Radio Show. Coming up next, well, you're just going to have to stick around to find out. That's what's coming <laughs> up next here on the Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. Again, if we ha- we've had this debate linguistically. I don't think it's along with. I think that's alongside. grammatically. But we're not alongside. Is it just along? I mean, Simpkins along well, Brian Fromm. That makes no sense. <laughs> <laughs> Got to talk these out. Near, near in proximity with. You don't think alongside works? You said your dad is the one who knows these things. Well, wasn't it your dad? Yeah, he you knows were talking these things about? really well. Yeah, yeah. Because his comment was, uh, "My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm." Like, so sometimes you're Ian Simpkins, and sometimes you're Brian Fromm. <laughs> I was like, touche, I think that he's right, but I don't know. Okay, you need to ask him which what should we should be saying, because I don't feel like... <laughs> oh, I don't know that I want to give him that that much freedom. Let him call in. Tell us what exactly. <laughs> Last time my dad called in, he sang me Happy Birthday a la Marilyn Monroe. Oh, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> uh, otherwise known as Top 5 Show Highlight. Yeah, that was, that was a... It was a good day. day, for sure. I think I got donuts that day, right? Mm-hmm. Jim Hollander came in. That's and, right. That's right. Man, oh, man. It's like a... I said it was almost a year ago, but considering you just had a birthday, it was over a year ago. <laughs> yes. That is accurate. Okay, so here's an article out of Christianity Today written by none other than Ed Stetzer, who uh, wrote a book. What was the book called again? Christians in an Age of Outrage, How to Bring Out Our Best When the World's at Its Worst. Which is a pretty good book. He wrote this article, uh, gosh, just like a day or two ago. Uh, People are addicted to outrage, four ways to walk a better path. So... It's a little bit of an evergreen topic, to be mm-hmm. honest, because it feels like outrage is, at least in the near future, not going out of style. And um, there's some concern, but there, I think there's also some opportunity, particularly in the, you know, the countercultural ways that yep. Chris- Christians are called to live. But um, I like how he begins the whole thing. He says, there was a time when having a piece of cake or going out for ice cream was considered a treat. We had cake for our birthday, ice cream uh, after an outing, and so on. Today... Everywhere you look, you see treats, supermarkets filled with fresh cakes and pies, every convenience store displaying an array of snack cakes, honey buns, and donuts. What was once a rare treat has become a dietary staple for too many of us with increased waistlines as evidence. But a treat, by definition, is something we enjoy only occasionally. Having a piece of cake for your birthday won't wreck your health. Turning a treat into a staple, whether it's cake, chips, or fast food, doesn't put you on the fast track to a healthy mind and body. Returning to the idea of these sorts of foods as an occasional treat 
is a great way to move forward with better health. Unfortunately, too many of us are doing the same thing to our emotional health Hmm. that we've been doing physically. In this case, rather than turning a treat into a staple in our diet, we're feeding our souls with an unhealthy diet of outrage. Sure, there's a time to be unsettled or perhaps even outraged over some things, but today... We have turned outrage into an emotional version of junk food binge Mm -hmm. eating. It's too common, mostly unnecessary, and almost never useful. And it doesn't change things for the better. So I thought that just as a premise was actually really good. And uh, if you're a note-taking type, he's going to get into four ways to walk a better path. But before we get into that, I'm I'm just curious what you think about the way that he sort of frames. I like it, how he frames it around junk food. Because it's true, right? Like right now – Junk food is a lot more accessible, and and we eat, we know if we eat too much of it, it's not healthy. Uh, but we you know we we probably a lot of us take more of it in than we should. And he's saying that's kind of how outrage has become, and and right. that we we don't we we are not given enough thought to how dangerous it is for our own emotional well being, right? Uh, to always be outraged. But man, we do live in a culture of outrage. Well, and it's interesting too if you uh, if you read about brain science at all too the uh, the things that we tend to linger on actually like create pathways in our brain. Mm. So there is a sort of cyclical nature to the more and more outraged you are, uh, the more likely you're going to continue to be outraged without, you know, unless you like drastically interrupt the pattern. So that's sort of what the four are all about. Why don't you get us into the first one? Yeah. First, when dealing with others, we must be empathetic. Instead of putting on our best Pharisee fatigues and going to war with people, we start with the view of Scripture that our world is broken, lost, and in bondage. God's solution for the world's sin was not to be outraged, but to love, sending Jesus to die for us. Even as the father in the story of the prodigal son, representing our heavenly father, hurried to meet his broken child, God has not abandoned the world and sin. He made a way of salvation in spite of it. And so Stetzer saying, in light of that, yeah. when dealing with others, be empathetic. That's good. Uh, secondly, we respond with humility. In Philippians 2, Paul told believers to be of the same mind as Jesus. And what is that mind? He humbled himself. Mm. We can expect the world to respond with hostility when feeling threatened or misunderstood. We can understand when communities blinded by sin respond to Christians with tribalism and mistrust. But we who know Christ must respond not with hostility, but humility. We are not better than the people with whom we disagree. We have received a gift of salvation and should respond with humble gratitude. This also means we're careful to be accurate in how we characterize those with whom we disagree. It's easy today to define those not like us by their worst day mm. or their worst examples, but none of us wants to be defined like that. That is true. Uh, number three, the third aspect uh, of our lens is to see people as image-bearing. Yeah. We value people as created in the very image of God. Even those who hate us are entitled to being treated with dignity. Yeah, right. Remember Jesus told us to love our enemies, to do good to those who hate us. You can respect a person as created in the image of God and still disagree with their lifestyle or ideology. This is a key issue where Christians need to lead. All people are created in the image of God and worthy uh, of dignity and respect. That one is enormous. Yeah. Lastly, number four, our lens includes being sacrificial. We can set aside our comfort to stand against injustices. We can choose to act on behalf of others rather than sitting back in fear. We will not win people to Christ by shouting at them online or spending all our energy in protection mode. Recognizing sinful patterns in our culture that hurt people and acting against them will not compromise the gospel and it will likely help us share it more winsomely. When we respond like this, we show the love uh, the love Jesus shows, compassionate, respectful, and courageous. By the way, if you see outrage as an issue in your church, you can order a six-week Bible study. <laughs> you got caught in the ad. No, I didn't get caught. Not the I, I want to make sure. 
uh, Christians in the Age of Outrage. Yeah. Um, you can find that on the Facebook page. There you go. I think these are awesome. I think that third one about the Imago Dei, the image of God, yeah. that we're all image bearers of God, I think that one is so foundationally essential. That, like, if you and I disagree, I still can show you value. I can still see your intrinsic value in in your being an image bearer as opposed to, like, uh, well, he thinks this. He's not worth my time. He's not worth any dignity, whatever it might be. That one feels so important to me. Do you think that people actually think that? Like, are uh, they actively cognizant of that kind of denigration, or is it we're just too distracted or too. You know, I don't think people, most people tend to go, well, they're not, va- they have no value because they don't agree with me. It's just how we treat people. Yeah. Right. We, uh, we tend to be a lot more tribal in nature and we tend to, uh, you know, you talk a lot about uh, echo chambers and, and we tend to give greater value to those people uh, who agree with us. And, uh, and a lot of this chapter, uh, this chapter, this book is just about uh, how do we disagree without being disagreeable? How do yeah. we still love people we disagree with? Uh, and I think Stetzer's point is our culture is doing really badly at this, and so is our church culture. Yeah, which is unfortunate, but I think we I think we can do better. There's a, a quote that I share at least once a year, and every single time it it like blows up. Like there's just something that I think uh, about this quote that really resonates. It's from Madeline Langle, and she says. Uh, we draw people to Christ not by loudly discrediting what they believe, by telling them how wrong they are and how right we are, mm. but by showing them a light that is so lovely that they want with all their hearts to know the source of it. Mm. I find that like as uh, as an evangelistic posture yeah. to be so much easier said than done, but so true though. I've, I've never, you know, we tell stories at community all the time. I've never heard someone say, you know how I found my way back to God? Someone screamed me into surrendering. <laughs> they just all sh- the outrage. They just shamed me into repentance. And you're like, yeah, right. The outrage is like, and that doesn't mean don't be intense at times. But I think when you really step back and think about what are the stories, like, what does it mean when Paul says it's your loving kindness that leads yeah. people to repentance? God, like, do we actually believe that? Because I think if we did and we embodied it, um, we'd see at least at least from a Christian perspective, a, a good deal less outrage. And, Agreed. Uh, Agreed. That's kind of the hope. Well, coming up next, uh, I want to give some police love. Uh, there's a couple of stories involving uh, the, the police that I think uh, is uh, a pretty encouraging story. So we'll, we'll talk about that coming up next here on The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope you There's no way around it. We have to talk about the coronavirus. Plus, the rest of the hour, we'll have Chris Lasher in the studio talking about a guided prayer project that launches today. This is The Common Good. Okay, so I feel like earlier in the week, we naively said, we'll try not to talk about coronavirus a bunch this week. Doesn't that feel so long ago? It really does. Different Ian and Brian. Yes. It's just such a different world already. This has been the crazy, one of the craziest weeks ever. Just things feel like, I do feel like it. Like it feels like things are changing, not only by the hour, like by the 15 minute interval, you look at on Twitter or something and like yeah. things canceling, our schools happening, what's happening with our kids to the NSA tournament canceling and uh-huh. now baseball and college. It's just Tom Hanks. Tom, it's no. all really wild. Sitting on my couch last night while watching the basketball and, and Trump speech. And then the Tom Hanks news came. It was just like, 
I don't know. I felt unnerved. Like, I felt nervous watching yeah. it. It was weird. So before we get to all of that, yeah. let me uh, fill the information buckets here. So you can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. In fact, maybe more important now than ever, we're going to continue posting stuff there uh, as we see it appropriate and fit. And so you can uh, comment there. If you have ideas or suggestions, you can message stuff on the Facebook page. You can also rate and review it. You can find uh, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good or wherever it is you get podcasts. You were just mentioning it, so you watched uh, President Trump's I address did. last night. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did as well. So John pieced together uh, a couple of highlights that we're going to listen to, and then we'll respond to, and then with the time left, uh, we're going to have a little bit on the way. How, how can we kind of take a step forward in yep. all of this? Today, the World Health Organization officially announced that this is a global pandemic. We have been in frequent contact with our allies, and we are marshalling the full power of the federal government and the private sector to protect the American people. This is the most aggressive and comprehensive effort to confront a foreign virus in modern history. I am confident that by counting and continuing to take these tough measures, we will significantly reduce the threat to our citizens and we will ultimately and expeditiously defeat this virus. I have decided to take several strong but necessary actions to protect the health and well-being of all Americans. To keep new cases from entering our shores, we will be suspending all travel from Europe to the United States for the next 30 days. The new rules will go into effect Friday at midnight. These restrictions will be adjusted subject to conditions on the ground. There will be exemptions for Americans who have undergone appropriate screenings, and these prohibitions will not only apply to the tremendous amount of trade and cargo, but various other things as we get approval. Anything coming from Europe to the United States is what we are discussing. Earlier this week, I met with the leaders of health insurance industry who have agreed to waive all co-payments for coronavirus treatments, extend insurance coverage to these treatments and to prevent surprise medical billing. We are cutting massive amounts of red tape to make antiviral therapies available in record time. So I'm actually less interested in how you reacted to that when you heard it, Mm -hmm. uh, because I imagine it's probably similar to how a lot of us felt. But I do want to use like the remaining six minutes or so to talk about how do we find a way forward in all yep. this? Yep. You know, you are both a, a father and a husband, but you're mm-hmm. also a pastor. So you're caring for people. You're overseeing people. Yeah. Um, but you're also in a lot of ways as a pastor responsible for providing some clarity or some hope. How do you how do you navigate these really kind of difficult, strange times yeah, while navigating your own feelings about it? Yeah, too, right? Right. Like it's exactly. been uh, it's been a little weird. I sent the long email to our church today, kind of mapping out kind of our thoughts about going forward. Our church is kind of linking ourselves to the school districts in town. And, um, you know, and so that just being informational. But I do think. Uh, like I think about the conversation I had with my kids last night, you know, they're nervous and want to, you know, a little bit, uh, especially the younger ones going, what is this? Like, can I, and and I had to explain to them and my wife also, uh, we explained to them, you know, guys, like chances are, if you were to get this, you're going to be okay. Like not even chances, like you're going to be okay. Yeah. Uh, but the problem here is people, there are people who won't be okay and we have to think about them. And so that's why we're shutting all these things down. That's why your schools are being so serious. That's why there's no MLB base. Like my, my son is 
is so angry that there's no Major League Baseball, like trying to give him some perspective. And, yeah. uh, you know, you gave us his article. You gave an article here that talks about how canceled events and self-quarantine save lives, but also how this other article, this could be our finest hour for the vast majority of people. It says nationwide and worldwide. This virus is not about you. And yeah. so it's about loving our neighbors. Right. And and doing what's right so that this doesn't go crazy. Right. Mm-hmm. Like. We don't need the macho people out there being like, oh, it's not the flu. Like, let's we we you, you're wrong for one thing about mortality rates and this and that. But 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 that's not helpful at this moment. And so in some ways, I'm proud of our country already for the way people are willing to shut down and take this. But, yeah, I find myself anxious about it and trying mm-hmm. to navigate my church and my kids. And what are, what is the best thing to do with this practice and this event and this, I don't know, man. How, how about you? What are you doing through this? Well, we talked, you know, at the beginning of the hour, uh, the beginning of the show today about uh, some of the responses that we're even seeing from some church leaders like, hey, it's it's really only mostly affecting, you know, the elderly. So yeah, you're going to yeah. be fine. And like how unhelpful I think that perspective is, because exactly like what this other article talks about, this could be our finest hour. Um, is I think at its core, remembering it isn't ultimately about me. This is a chance literally to love your neighbor as yourself by being diligent in this this regard. And what did Scott Saul say? He said, yes, wash your hands and then wash feet too. There's this general motif, this mantra of, yeah, just because, because I've heard a number of people say, and they're, you know, usually it's tongue in cheek, but it's like, I'm only 25. I'm good to go. Yeah. Like, yeah, man, it's not about you though. And I think as a leader, as a pastor, um, there, there does need to be attention to be held. Like, uh, Dave Ferguson, uh, posted earlier today. He said, uh, in times of fear and anxiety, the first two verses of Psalm 46 provide a good reminder of where to put our focus. God is our refuge and strength and ever present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear. Yeah. I think that is such an important, wise pastoral position. And that doesn't mean, that we don't still take the necessary precautions. Absolutely. This command to not fear doesn't mean that we don't also need to be diligent together. Yeah. And that's where I think sometimes the juxtaposition can get wonky for people. They're like, wow, man, my, uh, this worth is not my home. So, so be it. Yeah. I'm like, well, that's not helpful. But it also is not, it doesn't mean that we need to live in some sort of Y2K fear. Right. We're all hunkered down in our basement. So I think, I think you're right. I think, um, it has been encouraging so far to see the level of proaction that uh, a number of leaders worldwide, yeah. but in the United States, you know, here have made and places like Judson University and all those other yep. Yep. conversations that you and I have been having. I'm curious if you think there's like one or two things heading into all of this that you would encourage people to be especially mindful of. Yeah. I- What's not helpful right now is to be that guy or that girl who's yelling fake news and who is like, this is a made up media thing. It's not right. Go to the and I get it. You know, you won't buy this, but go to the health department um, website, go to the CDC, go to these things Hmm. and educate yourselves. Uh, And really what is being asked of a lot of us who are younger and healthier is not in the end that drastic of a thing if it's going to save the lives of the elderly or the people who have um, compromised immune systems like not having the NSA tournament and maybe needing to be home with your family a little bit more is not that big a deal in fact maybe (laughs) it's going to be a good thing (laughs) you know uh, in the end uh, we're not being asked really to do a crazy amount and so let's love our neighbors Mm -hmm. uh, and not say well it doesn't affect young people yeah there's old people around you too so you could be the gateway to them getting it like let's take that seriously let's be people of prayer not of fear 
but also people who prepare and uh, who use it as an opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus to our neighbors, to our family, to our friends. And one of the things that I've mentioned never before in this context before, but I think one of the definitions of privilege that I've found to be most helpful is thinking something's not a problem if it's not a problem for you. Yeah. And we typically talk about that in sort of a racial sense, but I think that also certainly applies here. Like just because maybe you don't feel like you're at risk, this is such a perfect, strange, but unique way to actually live out the great commandment, to love to love God and to love others as ourselves and to be mindful of those things, but to be a people of prayer to, I mean, if ever there was a time to be particularly mindful of prayer, of getting on our hands and knees before God. And uh, I think that actually is going to be a great segue because coming yeah. up next, Chris Lash is going to be in studio and they're launching today a guided prayer project. And the topic that they launched today is about fear and anxiety. You are not going to miss that interview coming up next here on the common good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, it's Ian Simpkins here. And after I had this experience with Thrivent where we were able to host this marriage conference with two other churches in the area, uh, my interest was kind of piqued with regards to what kind of organization this was. And it was really fascinating because they approached me, who was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and they said, we actually provide these free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously. And so they sent me this link, and it was all these different topics, questions that people in my church actually were asking. And so it was remarkable. They hosted this workshop uh, a number of times in the coming months for people in our church to do just that, to to be wise with money and to live generously. And that's kind of how this relationship began because there was this no strings attached kind of mentality. It was just their heart to give back, to partner with pastors and churches to help people uh, live generously, to be wise with money and live generously. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with them. And so if you're interested in learning more, I can't encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with Brian Fromm. If you want to find us, and I only can partially recommend that you do, you can find us on Facebook, <laughs> The Common Good Radio Show, 1160hope.com slash The Common Good, on Twitter at Common Good Talk, plus wherever it is that you so choose to find your podcast. We're there. If you wouldn't mind, a little subscribe rate review does somehow magically help us out. But uh, I am absolutely thrilled. You might be our first three-peat guest of all time. Ooh, this is a three-peat. Wow. This is, this is wow. your third on the show. Is that right? Yeah. This is why you offered me a mug earlier. That's <laughs> good. I got the three-peat. Well, don't tell them that. That's a secret. No, that's fine. No, I no, feel no. like at the third time, they got to bring us a mug. Yeah, I gotta, it's, it's like when you have a, a birthday in elementary yes. school. It's like you got to bring candy. I was homeschooled, so I didn't get any of that. Oh, but, yes. uh, uh, that third voice you're hearing dinner for you. is right. That's true. You get to eat tonight. Yeah. Thanks, Mom wow. slash Principal. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Well, the uh, that mysterious third voice of our first three-peat guest is none other than Chris Lash. Welcome to the show again, sir. I'm thrilled to be here. I appreciate it. We're this thrilled is so to have fun. you back, man. Why don't you... Okay, so I, I don't want to assume people know who you are or what you do. Yeah. Why don't you give a little bio of yourself? Yeah. My name is Chris Lash. Obviously. I serve as the Dean of University Ministries at Judson University. It is Ian's alma mater. It's true. And we are in Elgin, Illinois. And um, yeah, I basically, I get to work with um, some incredible students, 15 to 20. So you put on chapel services three times a week, and um, we're just cranking out a lot of content. And the students that we get to work with are unparalleled, incredible. 
I'm married and live in West Dundee, mm-hmm. and so my wife, Sari, has to put up with me all the time. So if you're irritated, <laughs> if anybody listeners are irritated by me on the show today, just imagine her. Send a prayer for her. Pray for her. Yeah, right. pray for her. <laughs> <laughs> We've had Sari on the show as well. Yeah. She's a really talented writer, and she does a lot of really cool stuff in the world. Yeah, so uh, being that you're at Judson, they're in the news along with a lot of yep. colleges yeah. who have basically shut down. They're not, uh, you know, kids are doing e-learning. Yep. Um, could you walk us through the decision made at Judson and what's the reaction been on campus with the whole coronavirus and the change of how you guys are going to do school here? Yeah, I know we've been aware that the coronavirus has been spreading and with test kits and all of that, a lot of it's been a lot of questions up in the air. And so we've been trying to figure out how do we respond as a university in order to best and our philosophy is we love neighbor, love neighbor as you love yourself. And so we want to make sure that we're protecting staff, faculty, and yeah, students right. in the entire process. So even when students go home for the weekend, we don't want them taking something that could be in violation of yeah. social distancing and then taking it home to grandma. And then we've like had unfortunately hurt a family or just made something scarier. And so right. a lot of the decision-making process is what's safest for our community? How do we respond to this? How do we care for the people that we love, our students? And so it ended up being a decision that was made um, yesterday, and it was kind of along um, the same lines as, I know, Wheaton was making a similar decision, Mm -hmm. University of Chicago. I'm trying to think of a couple other universities. A lot of them, to be honest. Aurora Aurora made the decision today, and... um, we we are transitioning from being in class to now we're doing this distance learning, distance, essentially. Yeah. We're going to be utilizing Google Hangouts, Zoom, eLearn, some of these methods that are just non-traditional teaching methods, but it's the best option for our students yeah, where right. we don't, we're not coming into contact with a whole ton of potential corona or yeah. anything like that. Yeah. So it's to be honest, it's a phenomenal decision. I am thrilled that they made the decision um, and that we're doing what we can to care for our students. Like so, I, it's, yeah. it's a preemptive measure. We don't right. have any confirmed. I want to say that too. That's we don't smart. have any confirmed cases of corona. Right. It's that we are just doing this preemptively in order to best care for Elgin, for the right. students, yeah. for international students, for anybody. So what does that change about your job then? You mentioned that a big part of it is these three chapels a week. Are you going yeah. to create a digital chapel experience? Are you going to pre-record messages, or how do you? That's how do you part of what that? we're figuring out. Because I, Ian, I have you slotted to speak in March, so this is the unveiling of all things. I'm kind of asking if I'm uh, out of this. Was this was a, yeah, this like, was a selfish question. <laughs> He's like, what, are, what are we doing? I yeah. don't understand. Um, part of that we're still trying to work through, and um, we want to make sure that we provide good content to students, yeah. and at the same time. We're not obviously requiring them to be on campus and gather with 500 other people for a service. So what we're realistically going to do is be releasing some kind of digital content, which gets to one of the things that we're going to talk about in a later segment, this Mm -hmm. guided prayer project, which is this act of, to be honest, providence. Yeah, no We have this resource we're able to hand out to students, which we'll talk about in a second. Which launched today, by the way. Which launched today. (laughs) It's absolutely insane. It's like, students are like, how did this launch the same day as we announced that Judson's going digital? And I was like, People are going to start to think you're responsible for the coronavirus. (laughs) What a marketing (laughs) Is he trying to funnel traffic (laughs) with the world? Um, No, but for Chapel, we need to figure out, can we bring speakers in and have them record a podcast with us? That's kind of like a show, kind of like what you guys are doing. Mm -hmm. Or do we have them uh, send something in or 
do we just kind of go, you know what, we're going to take a break and we'll do it for next year? Yeah. Yeah, right. um, my conviction is that we want to be delivering, like, and this gets into somewhat I want to, for Gen Z. Gen yeah. Z, what uh-huh. I'm nervous about, what I've been talking with students about for the all day is um, your temptation is to isolate, which mm-hmm. uh-huh. social distancing is needed to uh-huh. combat the coronavirus. But that for Gen Z is one of their most significant fears right. is being alone. So how can we create community? How can we yeah. still be delivering content to you so you're not having to be alone? Yeah. And so I'm, I have increased um, conviction around mm. the fact that we need to be providing content to students yeah. so that not only are they connecting with students around them, like, hey, did you listen to this? What did you think of this? Right, Stuff like right. that. But also that they're just being fed because I don't know what their churches are going to have to do. I don't know what kind of digital infrastructure yep. their churches have. Mm-hmm. And because we have a podcast and we have students that utilize social media, we have a built-in mechanism for giving them spiritual content. content. Yep. So mm-hmm. that's our goal is we want to resource students as best as possible. We're talking about the methods for that, but our heart behind it is that we want to give students a connection not only to Judson, but to each other and to the Lord. That's That's awesome. So I know everything you say makes sense to me. I know when I was probably 18, 19, 20, (laughs) I probably would have been ticked. Like, I got to go home. You got to be kidding me. I got to leave campus. This is where all my friends. What has the student reaction been to this? Student reaction has been mixed. A lot of students have who have been following it for a while understand. They go like, okay, this makes sense. Like, Mm. I get this. Some students are frustrated because they're like, ah. This is now on my doorstep. This is crazy. I'm not really sure. Some students are fearful. Like I was Mm, uh doing a lot of pastoral meetings today with students who are like, oh, my gosh, why are we just canceling now? And a lot of my conversations are it's all preventative. Like this is the best decision for now because it's preventative. What would be worse is if we have to make this decision a month from now because we are infected like crazy. We're going, no, 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 no. This is a preemptive. Nobody has it. Right. We want to make sure you're kept safe. Right. And then some students are like, oh my gosh, tickets to Arizona are $75 for a trip. I'm going to go distance learn from Arizona. Yeah, and you go, right. That's and I said, send me back some gear. I don't know. Yeah. What, like, what do you say? Like, yeah, I can't encourage them to go take right. flights, you know, right. but. So but it's cheap. You know? yeah, it's so like, true. Sure. They are not lying. Yeah, they're not lying. <laughs> well, you kind of touched on it. So I'd love to know, I mean, just from your perspective, and I think because yours is such a boots on the ground position, like what would you encourage other maybe leaders listening? How do you pastor your people yeah. well through a time of fear and chaos and anxiety? Yeah, that's a great um, one. We've been preparing for a couple of weeks now for yeah. students to return. So we did, we have a disinfectant um uh, uh, like process and we have hand sanitizers and all yeah. that stuff. So we make sure like, yep, after every service we're disinfecting right. in between like those kinds of stuff. So we have a solution and then I'm just trying to communicate like my philosophy of communication is communicating as frequently as we need to yeah. mm-hmm. and as clearly as possible. Right. So even if the answer is we're not sure communicating that because people fill in like this is Brene Brown. People fill in the silence with unfortunate Absolutely. news or assumptions yep. or something like that. And so even where students are like, did we cancel because someone has Corona? And I go, the right. reason that your mind's jumping to that is because nobody has said it yet outright. So we didn't realize we need to say that. Hmm. So yeah, no, no one has it. Yeah, yeah. you're mm-hmm. fine. Like this is preemptive. This is preventative, that kind of a thing. Nobody has a, a case of Corona. And um, one of the last things is uh, in addition to communicating, what I try to do is just offer like BA as, as a, a Edwin Friedman, non-anxious presence of just going, Mm -hmm. look, I I do. I've been reading about this stuff like crazy because I know my position and going, Mm. how can I encourage you? How can I? Mm. They're going like, well, it's the most dangerous thing on the planet. I go, no, well, it's actually not. And here's why we should be mindful of it. Here's why we don't need to be overly cautious and, and paranoid. But 
you should wash your hands and you should <laughs> practice social distancing. And you should and have stuff already like been doing that. Yeah. <laughs> so well, it's funny and it's maybe too early to make a joke about it, but I think Gen Z and millennials are going to be the most like hand washing yep. conscious people on the planet for the rest That's of their lives. Like, like, like a surgeon going into right. surgery. You're going to be like, times. dad, why do you wash your hands like this? You're like, well, it's the Corona of 2020. <laughs> yeah. I learned my lesson. You're probably my lessons. Right. We're always doing this. Well, we didn't actually have you on the show originally scheduled to talk about that. Right. I think it is, uh, again, kind of providential because I think I think you just bring a lot of wisdom and calm to a chaotic situation. But that does segue well, though. Today you launched today, today, yeah, today. today. It was this morning. As in today, to actual today, <laughs> real life today, a, uh, a guided prayer project that I yeah. think is fascinating. And we're going to spend the next two segments talking about that with Chris Lash from Judson University here on the Common Good on AM eleven sixty. Hope for your life. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins along with Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. That's where we post all of our articles. We got a lot of people commenting and weighing on there. That is a really cool growing community. You can also send us messages and suggestions and ideas and all that stuff there. Plus, uh, you can go to 1160hope.com. You can find us on Twitter at Common Good Talk and wherever it is you get your podcast. I am so thrilled, though. And I mean that. That's not like radio thrill. I mean that. That's real life thrilled <laughs> oh. to have in the flesh Chris Lash, who is the. You have so many positions. What do, what position do you introduce yourself as when it comes to Judson, particularly Dean of University Ministries? And I guess I'm an adjunct professor too. So I, that's what, that, yeah, that's right. where the other positions come from. And yeah. So your nameplate potentially could be. In fact, I just came long. from class before we came to record Look this. I came you. to class. Yeah, you're so much cooler than me in every single possible way. Uh, but he launched a guided prayer project today. And, and again, that was pretty providential. Before we get into that, though, a quick word from Thrivent. So, as many of you know, Thrivent is a Fortune 500 not-for-profit, serving its members for over 100 years. And uh, if you're listening, if you ever wanted to be your own boss, you want to use your entrepreneurial skills, you're good with money, you like come alongside people and helping them, uh, I want to encourage you to visit Thrivent.com slash careers. That's Thrivent.com slash careers. Or you can just call 630-598-2128 and just tell them that Ian from The Common Good sent you. Doesn't that sound fun? It sounds awesome. You should maybe consider checking out Thriving.com. It's incredible. Yeah, it really is. Okay, so it's pretty amazing that today, of all days, you launched this. It's been I know it's been stewing in your brain for a while, yeah. this, uh, this guided prayer project. Tell us a little bit about that project. Yeah, this project started as kind of like this. How can I deliver content to students in a way that they would really grasp? Because mm. I host our chapel services, and I know that me as a talking head up on stage, sometimes they're excited about what I'm saying, and right. sometimes they're like, oh, it's kind of hard to access sometimes. Right. And so not only can I grow as a communicator, but also <laughs> what I really wanted to do, and this is the informs my preaching, how can I help revitalize and change the way they do their quiet time? Mm. Hmm. A number of students, and we talk about this in terms of generations, um, biblical literacy is at an, an all-time high. They are not sure often when young people pick up the Bible, like, where am I supposed to be? Hmm. What does this mean? How do I even read this text? Hmm. Well, how do I even get meaning out of this text? So I devise kind of this method of just going, okay, how do we make the words of Scripture accessible to you? Mm-hmm. How do we make them have impact where it's, it's a clear recognition of this is going to seep into your your daily routine. Right, right. And so that coupled with um, wanting to provide ways for them to slow down hmm. and um, experience the presence of the Lord using some like ancient Christian practices. Yeah. I created this guided prayer project and we roped in a handful of incredible writers um, and they, I pitched the vision to them and they were like, Oh, I'm so on board. So we hmm. recorded all these back in December 
and we've been just kind of working on the tracks and laying down some of the background audio and all of that. And so this is what it is. We are releasing over the course of the next eight weeks, we're releasing two tracks a week okay. on Mondays and Thursdays. And I'll tell you how to get access to them in a second. But the whole vision is you, you pick up on one track and you listen every morning to that one track. So on Monday, mm. uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, you listen to the one today on an antidote to fear. Mm. And then Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you listen to the next one. Mm. Um, and the idea is we can find scripture seeping into our bones. We can be internalizing it, having space to breathe, having space to pay attention to our surroundings, pray for others around us, mm. have uh, an experience of breath prayers where you are like internalizing prayers that the saints have prayed before you. Yeah. And so this guided prayer project is my attempt to deliver content that speaks to the cultural moment that teaches a form mm. of quiet time, that teaches an anti-hurry morning principle, and in a way that they all would be able to pick up, because it's yeah. on Spotify and iTunes. So it's been a really fun project That's to work awesome. on, and we're launching it today, and it feels providential with everything regarding yeah. college and all that stuff. So I go, like, you know what you should check out? You should check out this <laughs> antidote to fear, as people are scared <laughs> exactly. and nervous. What better way than to meditate a Revelation 4? Like, the Lord cares about us. He's on the throne. He mm. provides for us. He sees us. And let's breathe that in every morning and let's like think and meditate on that as we're packing up our dorm and as we're, you know, living life and trying to figure out how to love our neighbor really well. Hmm. How would you describe some people out there might be like oh, guided prayer? What does that even mean? Like weird hippie exactly. yoga stuff. So some people out there going, <laughs> man, that seems a little new agey, whatever. Some talk, people talk are Brian, by the way. No, <laughs> I'm, I'm a big guided prayer guy. I'm, I'm good. Seems like I'm big in guided prayer. <laughs> I'm big on it huge I'm all here. the time. I'm really into humility. Guided yeah. prayer. <laughs> uh, describe guided prayer and why it's an important tool for somebody uh, and is helpful instead of just, you know, I got to think up all my own prayers now. Right. For me, um, I have ADHD like crazy. So my mind bounces around. So right. even as a pastor, when I sit down and try to read through a text and pick stuff out for yeah. myself, yeah. my own self-devotion, my mind can go a hundred different directions. So mm -hmm. my mind goes to my to-do list. My mind goes to what I'm doing for the day, like what, what my meetings are coming up. My mind snaps automatically to um, what are the other verses around here saying or right. hyper fixating on one verse. <laughs> what guided prayer offers is somebody taking you through, hey, let's pay attention to this one word. What would it look like for God to be your provider today? Hmm. And then just, it's kind of just this way of mm. asking questions. In my mind, it's very pastoral. Like, they can get weird. And so we're the non-weird version of guided <laughs> prayers. <laughs> like, like, we're not doing anything weird with crystals awesome. or nothing right. like that. But, oh, you know. Good to know, yeah. Yeah, no crystals. We, it, there's not like an Amazon wish list kind of thing. Um, and so it's just a way to, in my mind, pastor people um, in a mm. semi-sermonic way of saying, let's look at a text. Let's have you read this text. Let's listen to the text. What does it look like to meditate on the text? Yeah. And then they're picking up the scriptures. They're learning about how God provides for them, how he cares for them, and how he is the antidote to fear. Yeah, right. So what, did you have a, an inspiration that what motivated you to do this particular project? I mean, it's a little Lectio Divina. It's a little yeah. Prayer of Exam, and it's a little bit of a bunch of different things. But yeah. are there other people doing things like this that you've seen? Yeah, and that's what I love about it. Like, it's not, it's not um, just myself doing this all on my own. Right. There's a pastor out in Seattle and Los Angeles, Judah Smith, who mm -hmm. launched a church home. Home. And one of the things he ended up uh, working into the app that he offered his congregation is guided prayer. Right. And he started a little bit. And so I kind of got the idea early on, like, hmm. 
oh my gosh, this is an incredible resource. Like Justin Bieber was tweeting it out or he was Instagramming it out. Right. And you're going, oh, he's, someone like him is finding this helpful. Like mm-hmm. this is accessible. This is an accessible resource in a way where a devotion, if you were to hand him a devotion by Beth Moore or whoever, right? right? right. Like that might not be as accessible because you're like, oh, it just doesn't feel like it fits into my life so well. Right. I got to take this really intentional time. Like, no, no, no. Just sit in your car 10 minutes before you hmm. are, are done for the day or 10 minutes before you start. Just sit here, put it on, breathe, listen to scripture, and then go about your day walking yeah. in the Lord. So Judah Smith has been doing things like that. Aaron Nequist is a mutual yes. friend of yeah. ours, and he's been doing um, this kind of work for a long while, and he has a lot more of a history in it. But um, Dr. Warren Anderson, even at Judson, has been teaching Taze worship for mm-hmm. a while, which is just a more advanced, I'd argue, version of what we're doing here. This is very entry level. Yeah. But his whole thing is, let's find ways for the scriptures to connect with you. I love that. So it's not just moralistic, therapeutic deism. It's mm-hmm. not just scripture as therapy. It's scripture as, how does this change my inner world? So mm-hmm. when Jesus says, do not be anxious about anything, right. but in everything by prayer and petition. Oh, it's Philippians. It's Paul. My bad. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. I, I didn't write the Bible. You know? <laughs> I'm guessing Jesus believed yeah, it. Yeah. He, <laughs> probably, he probably knew what was going on. He probably knew what was going on. I'm guessing Jesus believed it. <laughs> I think he signed so Jesus said other things. Yeah, so he's good. Um, so, no, no, no. So, like, do not be anxious about anything and present yeah. your request to God. That's not only an external, like, uh, we get to do this as Christians, but right. this is comes out of an internal reality where Jesus, and he actually does, talk about the heart all the time. Well, <laughs> yeah. how does it seep into your heart? Well, as Americans, we are so unbelievably mind-centered, where mm-hmm. James K.A. Smith says that we often operate like brains on a stick. Yeah, he right. goes, no, 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 mm. let's take this down into the seat of our emotions, into the splachna, as, yeah. as the New Testament talks, right. like into right. the very guts of our being, and let's make the scriptures ours. Yeah. Let's make the scriptures ours, knowing that God speaks mm. to us through them. That's really good, man. Uh, so I want to go back to the biblical literacy part with this generation. Mm-hmm. Why do you? Why would you say that biblical literacy is a big issue that needs to get tackled? I would say, to be honest, it's just I, I don't have a good way to diagnose why biblical literacy. It probably has a lot to do with secularism and a lot to do with mm. post-Christianity and all mm. these things and the way that just they're growing up. Like, it's not on every single medium they're looking at right. and it's harder to find expositional preaching. I, I'm a fan of expositional preaching. I think there's other traditions that are fantastic, yeah. but sometimes when you move from different tradition or you have things shift, you just go like, that's not quite, um, that's not, that's not quite teaching students the way that they would understand. Hmm. So part of it is they just don't have any idea. Often when you go like, we're going to read the story of Ruth, but well, where does Ruth fall in this whole thing? And, right. for, and for people who have studied it, it goes like, Oh, I know exactly where that is. Hmm. But for a lot of students, what they have to do and this informs the way that I teach is taking one text and then trying to broaden it out into the meta narrative and go, okay, this is where Ruth falls in this whole grand story. So we're not just right. talking about person and dates. We're talking about like, what is God doing in salvation history and how hmm. is he seeking his people and how, how is he hmm. caring about them? And so how does this connect to Jesus? So we're trying to make these connection points all yeah. around for students to go, oh, I, oh yeah, I can connect these things. Because they can learn like crazy. They, right. they know all the things Absolutely. about all the things. They're on TikTok day in and day out for hours <laughs> and hours. They know this stuff. Right. But it's going, how do we make this real? And yeah. it goes like, we just connect it to things that you know. That's good, man. All right. So coming up next, I want to ask a little bit more about this project. We do got to let people know how they can get a hold yes. of it. That'll come up next as well. But I also want to ask you specifically about this first First one and why it was important that you chose this one about yeah. fear and anxiety because this is a topic that comes up on the show a lot and yeah. I, I want to kind of get into your brain a little bit there and all of that and more is coming up next with Chris Lash here on The Common Good on AM 1160 Hope for Your Life Hey everyone welcome 
Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Ian Simpkins, along with the right Reverend Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook, and I encourage you to. All of our stuff is posted there, and that's where a lot of our conversation takes place. The Common Good Radio Show. You'll know it's our page because you see our dumb, smiling Photoshop faces there with a little <laughs> green image. Our teeth are Very not that teeth. white. They're not that white. Also, 1160hope.com and wherever it is you get your podcast. While I'm giving out important information, we've had Chris Lash in the studio, which, by the way, man, thank you for making the trek. Oh, no. Thank, thank you for being a friend. Thanks for the way that you love the students of uh, Alma Mater. That means so much to me. Oh, it does yes. really. I mean, I don't want to get all sappy on you, but like, I mean, you could have just okay. started with the Golden Girls theme song That's right there. So you're a little Thank too you old for being <laughs> there. <it was>. Yeah. <laughs> he still knows. He knows. He knows okay. those throwbacks. Okay. But it does, it does mean a lot, though. That you uh, that school has meant a lot to me. That family has meant a lot to me. And the fact that you're there, caring for the student body and the leadership, I think is oh, that means, means a lot. I feel like I'm following in your footsteps. We have. I know we've talked about it in here. I but the reason I have it. my job no, is because you did such a good job the year before no, with Spiritual no. Enrichment Week and they said we need a pastor and go. they approached Ian and begged Ian and he was like I love my people too much at the church I was at at the time to move and then they were like alright this young guy bring him in and that was a good decision yeah. and here we are were you just bartending come yeah. on over yeah, come on over yeah. <laughs> were you just bartending I make a mean cocktail <laughs> hey, that's, that's a real story uh, alright so as I was I don't even know how we got there how do people get this guided prayer project that you've been talking about though we Love. <laughs> Sorry. One of those things you just caught yourself. Good, yep. Yeah, no, it's good. Oh, radio. Um, anyway, so uh, we we have the ability to text people when each new prayer releases. So if you text Prayer Project to 31996, again, Prayer Project, no space, okay. Prayer Project, to the number 31996, We'll send you. We'll add it. We'll add your number to our list, and we'll send you an updated prayer every Monday and Thursday morning, Killer. so that you can listen to it. And it'll take you to our webpage that has all the prayers out, so you can listen to previous ones. If you loved one specifically or wanted to share one specifically, you absolutely can do that. So text prayer project to three one nine nine six prayer project no space between the two words. To three one nine nine six. It's fantastic. Awesome. We have a ton of subscribers already. Like more. That's like awesome. we created this. So it's just crazy. Like I created something <laughs> and people are like listening to it, and that's so fun. It's, that's a, it's a huge honor. Like that's it seriously so cool. is. That people would start off their morning with something that we were just kind of envisioning and dreaming up and wanting to serve the church really well. Yeah, so I love it, man. I'm excited. This might be a really strange question, but I love it. I'm latitude. here for it. I'm here for it. So you said you're re-envisioning the quiet time, and I'm yeah. a good youth. I was a good youth pastor, always talking to kids about quiet time, and it was it. always the biggest thing that caused the greatest amount of guilt, right? In the quiet right. time, um, the greatest amount of guilt. No, okay, mm. that might be an overstatement. <laughs> Yikes! Yikes on bikes. Hey, your... let's get a list on that one. Let's get a yeah, list. What on was that your one. youth group like? Uh, what? Uh, why do you feel the need to re-envision the quiet time? Maybe I'll ask it that way. Where yeah. are the struggles with how we've always understood the quiet time? If people could see me, I'm using air quotes yeah. around quiet time right now. Right? I think when I ask students, okay, do you do a quiet time? Do you spend time with God? Most of the time, my students hang their head hmm. and they go, ah, I know, I don't, I don't know. Yep. And I will admit at the same time, if you were to do the same thing to me, well, how was your quiet time this morning? Yeah. I would have been like, I shot out of bed and like sprinted a thousand miles an hour <laughs> into my day. Right. And yep. I'm like on my way to work, listening to a podcast and then going, ah, Jesus too, you know? <laughs> and, and, um, so I think this element of quiet time, it's become very formulaic. And I don't even think it was bad. I think it's yeah. a good iteration of how the church talks about spending time with Jesus mm. when we have Bibles in our laps, when we have sermons, when we have these 
things. But one of the things I've seen is it becomes very formulaic mm-hmm. where it's me, my Bible, and I'm supposed to get something out of it. Okay, cool. Right. What does it mean to get something out of it? Well, right. often it translates into a knowledge tidbit or it translates into, well, you need to like memorize a, a verse. Like, is that bad? No, it's not bad. No. But if you don't know where that verse is in the broader context or how this verse impacts you, um, how how do you know if you're doing quiet time successfully or yeah. well? And so even when I'm thinking about reimagining quiet time, I'm not arrogant enough to think that I'm like the newest <laughs> and best iteration right. of church history. Take that's that, Smith. Right. <laughs> 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 like Martin Luther. Like, yeah. <laughs> come on. Um, but, but trying to find ways, how can we make the scriptures accessible to you? Hmm. And so if we just don't, like, to be honest, I don't really use quiet time language, yeah. a part of it. And like right. some of our communications I do because it's some of the easiest holding points and and, and handles that we have for it. But for students, what am I asking them to do? Right. You know what I want you to do? I want you to get up in the morning and in 10 minutes or less, I only need 10 minutes, 10 minutes or less. I want you to sit down in a chair, put in your earbuds or play it through a stereo and just breathe Yeah, and listen to scripture. Yeah. And then we're going to ask you questions. That's great. And then we're going to have you pray for your neighbor and that's it. Yeah. And we have a track behind it, so it's a prayer and music behind it. So it's kind of like the last 10 minutes of every like sermon where someone's in a synth, you know, and like on the background. And you're like, well, I like this part. Like, let's just make that a podcast. Is there like a fog plug-in? So get, like, <laughs> I'm going to monetize it that way. I'm just going to send out like fog, and I'll be sending out skinny jeans, like oh, little, like very... Oh, nice. I'm trying to think of other, you know... The other... lights will change yeah. as the prayer begins. <laughs> mm-hmm. As it starts, you grow a long beard. It's just yeah. a, 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 band, a band enters behind you. Yeah. And like drops well okay so i'm trying to think about questions people might have while listening because uh you've mentioned you work at a university yeah and uh there are a number of people listening they're like okay but would something like this apply to me i'm not a student i've been a student a long time is this something that you envision that people of multiple generations could participate in yeah the topics that we've chosen um they're written by younger people, but the topics we've chosen um, are centering around topics that I believe everybody can connect to, awesome. that, that everybody can relate to. Like today's prayer that we released today, which is uh, providential in its timing, yeah. is an antidote to fear. Yeah. So there's like this mass fear and fear mongering mm-hmm. and stocking up. We're all buying toilet paper and hand sanitizer <laughs> like crazy. Yep. Um how do we respond in fear? What does this look like? Or how do we not respond out of fear, rather? Like, yeah, how do we turn right. our attention to the Lord? Right. And so these are one of the things where I go, like, this is a topic for everyone. Yeah. Right? We have topics coming up about, like, feeling known by the Lord. Hmm. It's going, how do I know that the God, like, cares oh, about me? Because, like, okay, he does. And we have a couple prayers on anxiety. And if there's anything that I think typifies this moment, yeah. it's an anxious age. Yeah. And so how do we um, offer content in a way where people go, you know what, I actually feel like I, I didn't wake, wake up feeling like I needed that. Hmm. But when you started surfacing the issue, I recognized ah, I've been living with really anxious yeah. thoughts and fears for quite a while now. That's really So good. here's how we can address it. Yeah. We're going to meditate on some scriptures and passages and all of that. I love that, man. That's good. I want to ask you, uh, being that you work with students and you're in that generation of, yeah. of people, uh, people out there like my age, right? Mid forties or whatever. What don't we understand about college students? What are, where do we sell them short? Mm. Mm. I think when we make 
and I don't, and I, I don't even put this on anybody here, but I think when we make fun of younger mm. generation, like for millennials, it was often calling them snowflakes, which mm-hmm. behind every cutting remark is an element of truth. Mm. And so there's something that I think millennials can learn from that. But there's also this element of going, no, I, I'm not, I'm not narcissistic as a generation. I think we have a tendency to do that, but yeah. I think also we have all these options and we just want to make sure we're spending money wisely because of certain situations that we're in now. And for younger generations, for Gen Z right now, are they biblically illiterate? Yes. They are wildly biblically illiterate. Are they hungry? Mm. Oh my gosh. They are absolutely Mm. hungry for the word. They're hungry for Jesus. They're hungry for figuring out how do I live out my faith in this age? How do I become a good vocation? Like, how do I live my vocation well? How do I, how Mm. am I a good servant in the area that I want to study and learn? And I, I mean, I have a ton of them and, um, (laughs) we're, what we would be continuing the series that we'd be continuing in chapel is uh, based on Barna's book, Faith for Exiles. What are five practices for resilient disciples? Barna realized David Kinnaman and Barna did a series of surveys and said, what are the number of resilient disciples based on the students who all grew up in church? They said Mm. it's about eight to 10% worldwide of young people, ages 18 to to, uh, 24, something like that. Wow. That's, that's about the age that is resilient. Well, what characterizes them? And they identified five crucial characteristics that re- resilient disciples practice. And it's mm. all the ancient Christian, like where we come from. It's the spending time with Jesus. It's right. how does your faith mm. interact with your vocation? How do you uh, uh, learn to w- work with multi-generational uh, people, men and women? So basically, how do you see people do life well ahead of you? Like, yeah. like uh, if that doesn't address the anxiety of the times in a way that we're trying to address with the guided prayer project, I don't know what does is like walking alongside men and women who are older, who are seasoned in the faith mm-hmm. and they're going, this feels so scary to you right now. And I understand and recognize why hmm. you can make it. Yeah. Like you're going to be able to make it right. Faith seems, faith seems scary and doubt seems really huge yeah. and doubt seems like it's going to be the craziest thing. And I'd say this as the, the last thing. Um, I think one of the things that people most misunderstand is this deconstruction movement. Hmm. I think it's students really wanting to learn and test and understand. And so I think people begin to deconstruct their faith when they don't not. It's not when they don't have answers. It's when they yeah. don't have a place to ask the questions. Yeah. Right. And when people go, you can ask the question, bring it. And mm-hmm. they go, oh, my gosh, I did not realize Jesus was that good. Yeah. And so Gen Z, I think, is this incredible fantastic generation who will love Jesus, love the scriptures and speak the gospel in their whole area of life. I love that, man. All right. Just just as we're wrapping up, where can people go to get the project? Where where can they go to find you on Twitter or Instagram or any of that? Yeah. My Twitter is Chris underscore lash. And you can pick up our guided prayer project at, uh, if you text, uh, three one nine nine six. If you text the phrase "prayer project," mm-hmm. no space, prayer, no space, project to three one nine nine six, we will send you our information, and you'll be getting uh, updates. So I hope you join us. It's been a lot of fun so far. Even people just talking about this, yeah, and it's going really well. And I'm really excited for the prayers that we have coming up. So well, and I've heard the first one too. So I would wholeheartedly recommend that everyone. Wow, thank you. Everyone go and listen to it. Everyone be a part of this movement because I think it's really, really timely. And I think it's really important. Chris Lash, thank you so much for being on the show today, Oh, it's brother. an honor. Thank it's you so much. I really appreciate it, man. This has been The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.